0: The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt One sentence summary The happiness hypothesis is the most thorough analysis of how you can find happiness in our modern society backed by plenty of scientific research, real-life examples and even a formula for happiness. My favorite quote from the author is Love and work are to people what water and sunshine are to plants. Jonathan Haidt This summary is a little different in that it's comprehensive and depicts the entire book not just three lessons here we go if you are looking for a scientifically proven path to happiness you've come to the right place these blinks show that jonathan Haidt, social psychologist and professor at nyu has pulled out all the stops in the beginning of the book he establishes a metaphor which then serves throughout the rest of the book to explain happiness in different contexts he says our brain is divided into two main parts Your limbic system is in charge of your basic instincts, the needs for sleep, food and sex. The neocortex is, as its name suggests, a newer part of the brain, responsible for your rational thinking. It's what keeps your limbic system in check and makes sure you don't run around naked on the street, overeat or sleep in when you're supposed to go to work. While the neocortex follows suit to your thoughts, your limbic brain doesn't. It's fully in charge of your heart rate, moving while you sleep, or the knee-jerk reflex. Hate therefore describes the limbic brain as a wild elephant, with your neocortex being the rider, trying to control the elephant. Unhappiness comes from the rider and the elephant disagreeing, and hate uses this metaphor to show you what you can do to close the gap between the two. Around 50-80% to 80% of your baseline level of happiness is determined in your genes. But by changing your thoughts, you can still train the elephant. For example, your limbic brain is trained to recognize danger everywhere, in order to survive. But by becoming an optimist, you can lessen this behavior, which isn't quite so useful today. A large chunk of our happiness comes from our social relationships, and the first step towards improving them is understanding them. Reciprocity reciprocity is the principle on which we interact, which is why you feel guilty if you don't return a favor and Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory feels compelled to give a gift back. We feel so strongly about it that we prefer to get nothing rather than receiving an unfair share. You can use this principle the next time you fight with your spouse or roommate. Just admit some of the things you did wrong. Your friend will start to reciprocate and also admit what they did wrong helping both of you to resolve the conflict. Doing this also helps lessening your self-serving bias, since your elephant thinks it's always right and your rider usually defends it. Next to your relationships, your work is one of the few factors that matters a lot to your happiness. The adaptation principle shows that whatever lucky event or adversity we face, we get used to it. This was proven in a study showing that people who won the lottery and people who became paralyzed, both return to their baseline happiness levels after one year. However, what you spend your time working on is one of those external circumstances that has a big impact, thanks to the progress principle. The progress principle says that we draw much more happiness from working towards a goal rather than reaching it. So try to find meaningful work you're good at, or as Confucius Confucius would say, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life your most important relationship in your life will likely be the one with your partner or spouse. But on your quest for love, don't just rely on passion. No matter how much in love you are at the beginning of the relationship, it naturally fades. And that's okay. Hate says we must seek to develop companionate love, which is what best friends, brothers, sisters and family members share. Having someone at your side through the ups and downs of life Sharing your joy and sadness and exploring and learning together creates a much stronger bond which can last you a lifetime, but it takes time to develop. So don't give up a relationship once passion fades, but give your companion and love time to develop. The rider and the elephant might also disagree about who you are. For example, your rider can try to preserve your image of being an efficient, career-driven manager while your elephant just wants to cut himself some slack and play soccer with his buddies. It often takes a crisis for us to see these differences, which is why adversity can make us happier. This is especially true for people in their teens and twenties, who spend a lot of time thinking and looking for meaning in their lives. A crisis gives you the chance to see what the elephant really wants, and help the rider adjust your self-image to match your true desires. Lastly, we need to feel connected to something greater than ourselves, which is why religion has a place in our lives. Even if you're an atheist, you probably believe in karma, destiny, or fortune. That's a good thing. Belief gives us a sense of awe because it makes us realize that we're a small part of something much greater. To sum up, number one, surround yourself with the people you love the most and live in accordance with reciprocity. Number two, do work that matters to you. Number three, find a partner who will stand by your side through sunshine and rain. Number four. Allow yourself to be part of something greater. These are just some of the things I learned from these blinks, as there were so many good insights, let alone in the book. My personal takeaways from the happiness hypothesis for 2017. This is one of my favorite books of all time. So I read the book and inside the book there even is a happiness formula. Uh, a, a literal literal formula um, Jonathan Haidt created for happiness which contains several different factors and I would like to show you some of the things that I pulled out from the summary which I've taken with me all along. So first of all, uh, happiness, Jonathan Haidt says, consists of three things which are your biological set points, the conditions of your life and voluntary activities. Your biological set point is sort of your baseline level of happiness. We all have one. It's partly determined in our genes. And there's not much we can do because about that because we'll always go back to it. That's the example with the lottery winners and the paraplegics. But there's also the progress principle, which says that you can get happiness from working towards a goal. So that means you have to choose something to work on that you really, really believe in. Because from making progress towards it, you'll get a lot happier. And that's actually the only way you can influence it, because that's different from your baseline level of happiness. The second part are the conditions of your life. And there are some you can change, like what race you belong to, your gender, your age, or whether you have a disability. These you can't really do anything about. But there are things you can change. Something like wealth, which you can work towards, or your marital status, which you can work hard for by creating a good relationship, or where you live. And one of the most remarkable things I took away from this book is that there are a few things in your circumstances that you can never fully adapt to that you really have to nail. And some of them are noise levels and and a commute. And that's really powerful because for me what I realized was, yeah, I had shitty apartments for many, many years because I just had bad luck with them and sometimes I would also have to commute to work. And I realized that the closer I lived to the place where I would go to work, for example university, the happier I was because I could just walk five minutes. And a commute always feels like lost time, even if you listen to audiobooks or do something useful. So by moving closer to your place of work, you can substantially increase your happiness. And of course, moving into a place that's not as noisy. And lastly, the third part of the happiness formula are your voluntary activities. And part of these are just activities you engage in because they're fun, which trigger flow, which is another book uh, I recommend you look into. Uh, and the other part is consumption. And for consumption, there's, of course, conspicuous and inconspicuous consumption, where there's things like status symbols and trinkets and, and really material items that are not all that useful. And then inconspicuous is inconspicuous consumption for example when you buy time with family or experiences like a cool event you do with your friends or things that create memories that you really take on with you for a long time so just keep some of these things in mind again for me the two biggest revelations from this book were noise levels and commute matter a lot so choose your apartment wisely and I hope some of these help you figure out what would make you a little bit happier just pick two of them, look at them Maybe try to implement them, but don't take this too seriously. Just pick one or two things to focus on, optimize them, and good luck in improving your happiness.